0: Welcome to Studio Berlin, our current affairs show here on 104.1 FM, KCRW Berlin. I'm your host Sylvia Cunningham. It's been a little over 2 weeks since Germany's highly anticipated Corona Warn app launched with a bang and huge endorsements from top government officials.
1: Das uh, haben sie alle gemerkt, das ist nicht die erste Corona App weltweit die vorgestellt wird, aber ich bin ziemlich überzeugt, es ist die beste.
0: This is Chancellery Head Helga Brown speaking on the day the app was released, saying it might not be the first app on the market, but he's convinced it's the best. But is it? On today's show, we are looking at what the response has been like and what questions still need to be answered. One production note before we get started. I'm at our studio here in Steglitz, but our guests will be joining us on the phone. With me now is Thomas Leonhardi. He is a spokesman for one of the app's developers, the software giant SAP. Welcome, Thomas.
1: Hi, thank you for having me.
0: So let's give a quick refresher for those who haven't downloaded the Corona Warn app on how it works. So break that down for me.
1: Yes, sure. Happy to do. The Corona Warn app in Germany has been built by uh, SAP and Deutsche Telekom to break down infection chains This has been done in the past manually by the local health authorities and is very time consuming and inaccurate. So we hope that with the app, there is now a digital building element uh, which helps to um, break down infection chains. And the app has been designed with an open source approach and with uh, a maximum effort on data security. So um, users can download the app and there is no data tracking. There is no geolocation tracking. So it's absolutely voluntary, but it helps a lot to break down infection chains.
0: Right, and this is the decentralized model. So that means that the data is stored locally rather than in a central server. That is a centralized model, which some other countries are using, we'll talk about that later. And the way it actually works is through Bluetooth technology. So if, say, I have the app and I'm sitting on the subway for a certain period of time near someone else who has the app, our phones are exchanging IDs. It's it's kind of like they're in conversation um, with one another.
1: Exactly. The Corona Warn app works with low-energy Bluetooth to avoid that your battery empties quickly. And there have been requirements made by the um, scientific uh, community um, how... It is most effective and the requirements are that if you are in contact with a person and you're uh, closer than two meters over the course of 15 minutes or longer then you have a high risk to be infected from this person if this person is covid19 positive
0: and you mentioned the battery life and that the app is designed to not be such a power drain, but we have seen some complaints from users who say it does take a fair bit of their phone's battery. Are there plans on the developer's end to um, reduce that?
1: Our research shows, and also independent research from computer scientists in Germany, that the, a battery is not very much affected. What I mean with not very much is it's between three or maybe 10 percent more than uh, of normal use. And it also depends on how people use their phones. If you have your Bluetooth connection on and you use your earphones as well or something else, the battery drains quicker, of course. So uh, all in all, we can say um, that the battery life is not exceptionally strong affected and uh, we think it's worse to fight the corona pandemic.
0: And as far as minimum device requirements go, For iPhones, you need iOS 13.5, and um, for Androids, you need at least Android 6. So that does rule out people who have some older smartphone models. Why is there this higher requirement?
1: Well, to be honest, this is a question um, you would have to ask the hardware manufacturers, and it's about iOS and Android, actually, uh, from Apple and Google. Um, They had to set a standard from where this app will work, and they have set it the way that it works only for uh, the newer generations of the phones. But um, there are a lot of research has been done and we can say that we reach, according to the German Digital Association, around 50 million users in Germany, which is really a lot. And uh, that's what I can say about that.
0: So when you have the app, the color you want to see on your screen is green because green means you haven't been in contact with another app user who has tested positive for COVID-19. But walk me through what happens when my screen turns red. What do I do next?
1: If you have an alert, a red alert, um, then the risk is very high that you have been in contact with a person that is COVID-19 positive. So you should then contact immediately your doctor um, or your local health authority And they will send you then to a test center and you will get tested. And if you are COVID-19 positive too, then you can voluntarily upload this information into the app and then all the other possible contact persons will be uh, alerted that they have been in contact with you.
0: Initially, the app was only available on the German App Store and uh, German Google Play That has now started to change. It's being rolled out onto other countries' app stores, the Netherlands, Belgium, Romania, Bulgaria. There are several others. That's just a few. But what's the holdup with just releasing it on all app stores?
1: Well, um, the Robert Koch Institute, as the publisher of uh, the app, evaluates this all. um, And there has been a few legal restrictions and data security restrictions, but the Robert Koch Institute is evaluating country by country and plans to issue this German app on on more app stores in other countries. So in parallel to the development of the app in Germany, um, all partners have developed an interoperability concept for apps uh, with a decentralized architecture in Europe. And this concept will be refined now with the expert in the European Union eHealth Network, So together with the EU Commission and and the member states in the EU, our partners will uh, further develop and implement the concept in the next forthcoming times.
0: But how would that work with a country like France that uses a centralized model?
1: That's a really good question. And uh, the interoperability with France, which follows a centralized model, has to be discussed uh, with all partners, and it has to be seen which solution can be found for that.
0: And who is this app for? I mean, for example, what kind of efforts are there to reach non-German speakers in the country?
1: At the moment, the German Corona Warn app is for the German population. But of course, we are aware that uh, there are many people in Germany who don't speak German. So that's why there are different language versions planned like uh, Turkish, but also in Russian, uh, in French language. But uh, this will take a while, but we can expect that with the next release, the next update of the app, there will be more language versions available.
0: Okay, and travel season is really here. I mean, the summer holidays for Berlin schools, for example, started here last week. You touched on this briefly before, but when can we expect that we will see app interoperability across EU borders.
1: Let's say you have the app and you go to Spain, to Mallorca, yeah, like some Germans did uh, as Lufthansa is flying again. And then they are together with Germans. Yes, the app works because they all use the same verification server backend at Telecom in Germany, um, and they can exchange the keys.
0: Okay, well, it will be interesting to see how this works in practice this summer, and we will have to leave the conversation there. Uh, Thomas Leenharty is a spokesman for one of the app's developers, the software company SAP. Thanks for your time, Thomas. You're welcome. More than 14 million people have downloaded the Corona Warn app since its launch in mid-June, and one of them is Gunter Foss. He is a 70-year-old retiree and coordinator of the Senior Computer Club in Berlin-Mitte, which has been around for more than a decade. Gunter Voss joins me on the line now. Hi, Gunter. Good to have you. Hello. Gunter, the Senior Computer Club is a place for you to share your tech expertise with fellow seniors. What are you teaching? I mean, what's your goal?
2: We are striving to get as many senior citizens as possible online. Our goal is to get them excited and show that it can enrich their lives. These days, media literacy means more than just switching the computer on or off. We're talking about smartphones and tablets too. Media literacy is like planning for retirement in a sense. It's securing our future.
0: And Gunther, what convinced... you to download um, the Corona Warn
2: app? For me, the data protection aspect of this app was very important. And in my view, the highest accolade this app could get was that the Chaos Computer Club didn't take issue with it.
1: It had no complaints.
0: Right. And the Chaos Computer Club that you mentioned, that is a group that was founded here in Germany, uh, but it calls itself Europe's largest association of hackers. So, Gunter, you are 70 years old and you belong to an age group that is at a higher risk of contracting the coronavirus. You have this app. Do you feel safer somehow now that you have it than you did before? Has it given you some sense of security?
2: This app is a tool, it doesn't offer protection against infection. What it does do is give you and officials the possibility of reacting a little bit faster. But my opinion is, and this is more pronounced in older people, that this is about social responsibility. I deliberately do not say social pressure, we shouldn't put pressure on people. We shouldn't make people feel that they're stupid for not downloading the app. But you should take responsibility for yourself and for society.
0: During this pandemic, it became very clear that digital technologies will play an even bigger role in our daily lives. Do you think that this older generation is prepared for this new reality?
1: (laughs) Mehr
2: or weniger. More or less, every senior citizen must discover this on his own, as in, what kind of value does this technology have for me, and does it open the door for more opportunities? For example, I was twice now in hospital for a longer period of time, but I was still able to keep in touch with the outside world via these tablet and smartphone devices. I was able to stay in contact with our club members, too. And we are already seeing that there's a kind of shift happening. Before, people used to say, nah, I don't need this, I don't want this. But now they say, actually, this could help me. Not just in terms of this pandemic, but also that this kind of technology and media literacy could help them improve their life.
0: Gunter Fass is the coordinator of the senior computer club in Mitte. Thank you for your time. Vielen <laughs> Dank für your Zeit. Danke. You're listening to Studio Berlin here on KCRW Berlin. We're taking a short break, and when we come back, more on Germany's Corona War now. Stay with us.
2: This is Ira Glass of This American Life. Oh, my God. One thing I really like in a radio story. What's
0: back there? It looks empty. No, there's someone living back there. Is a mystery. I'm not going back there. There's somebody's hair, there's a head in there. There's a shrunken head right there.
1: Mysteries explained each week. This American Life.
0: It's Santa (laughs) Claus. Resident Evil?
3: This American Life, Sundays at 5 p.m. on KCRW Berlin.
2: I'm Marco Werman, host of The World. Our reporters and producers are following events in every time zone. Their contacts include doctors, epidemiologists, and public policy experts. Get the facts. Be prepared. Be informed. Listen to the world.
3: Tuesday through
0: Saturday at 9 a.m. on KCRW Berlin. Welcome back to Studio Berlin. We've been talking about the corona Warn app in this half hour and the response to its rollout just about two weeks ago in mid-June. Joining me now is Chris Coover. She writes about digital rights for the website NetzPolitik.org in Berlin. Hi, Chris. Hey. And also with us is Svea Windwehr. She is a Mercator Fellow on International Affairs and spending part of her fellowship in Berlin with the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is a nonprofit aimed at protecting people's civil liberties in the digital world. Welcome, Svea. Hi. Thank you both for being here. Uh, Chris, I want to start with you, um, because we first spoke with you on Studio Berlin at the end of April, when there was a lot of uncertainty about this app. And you were skeptical back then, when a lot of things were changing about uh, data protection, about this app's development. But in the end, you said you would download it. What has your experience been like so far?
4: I thought it was really amazing to kind of look back and see how much has happened and how quickly the the developments have happened since that point when we last spoke. So we basically had a shift to another model, right? There was a shift from a centralized approach that the team was still working on at the time, finally to a decentralized approach that then SAP and Telecom executed. Like many people watching and reporting on this debate, I definitely feel that it took a turn to the better and that even back then when we spoke, I mean, I ended up saying, yeah, basically, I would probably download the app in the end. But now I think at least from a data protection perspective, the risks associated uh, with the app are a lot less now than what we were speaking about back then because the app that we ended up having now as an option for download is open source. as basically everybody can can take a look at the code. So in the end, it seems that at least from a data protection standpoint, I feel that, yeah, it's, it's not such a big issue anymore to use the app. So that's a good thing.
0: The German government has long made clear that downloading this app is voluntary. And yet, is it fair to say that there is a fair bit of pressure being put on citizens to download it, uh, Svea?
3: So I do think that there is a sentiment. It is recommended for citizens to download the app, and I think some people do feel social pressure. I personally haven't heard from a lot of employers that have pressured their employees to download the app or that have made anything dependent on whether someone downloaded the app. So I think that is positive. But I do think people feel some level of pressure, like some level of social pressure to have the app and to contribute to
0: um slowing down infection rates, what do you think, Chris? Yeah, I do
4: feel also that it definitely would have been better to go for a solution where there's not just the app but also accompanying legislation that would have made clear that it is illegal to to make the app kind of a, a prerequisite for access uh, to certain spaces, stores or restaurants, or um, to make it a prerequisite or something that that employers could make uh, obligatory for their employees.
0: And there has been talk about protecting the voluntary nature of this app through a law. What's the argument for this? And uh, Chris, who is pushing for it?
4: Yeah, a couple of politicians, members of parliament have voiced this idea. Uh, civil rights organizations have uh, voiced this before and data protectionists as well. So I think the discussion has kind of died down because at least I've heard the concern that it is something that basically the the way the app is set up now, it's really difficult to do it now in retrospect. It would have been something that we would have needed before the app was published.
0: What do you think, Svea?
3: What I think could also be really helpful, um, what might be a different question is to have um, legislation that will be more specific about the process to be put in place to decide when the app will be sunsetted or when the app would be disabled, I think that would be also really relevant to make sure that there is a clear end date and according to clear factors laid down in law, I think that is something that could, have been, could be useful and I think a debate around that could also still be useful.
0: I I want to touch on a viral moment that happened last week in the UK Parliament between Prime Minister Boris Johnson and a question he asked the leader of the Labour Party, Keir Starmer. Let's listen to the clip.
2: Mr. Speaker, I wonder whether the Right Honourable Gentleman can name a single country in the world that has a functional contact tracing app? Germany.
0: This moment was shared quite widely and maybe proudly by uh, some German politicians. So is this praise that Germany is getting rightly deserved? I mean, does it feel like other countries are actually looking to Germany on this uh, Svea?
3: Germany has done a lot of things uh, really well during this process, uh, particularly the focus on open source code, on being in touch with the community, on listening to criticism. But I think what is just really important to keep in mind that no app will be a silver bullet that will solve this problem for us. And um, the German Corona Warn app, As good as it may be, will not solve this problem, and by itself cannot solve the problem of contact tracing either. It is really important to keep in mind that there is, like, a lot of manual or software-supported contact tracing going on in um, public health authorities, and the app itself is simply not a solution to this crisis.
0: What do you think, Chris?
4: Even this viral moment is kind of like all shifting the perspective a bit too far away from the limitations of this kind of technical solutions, And yeah, I do feel it's important to also kind of refocus or listen to the people who are working in the system, Gesundheitsämter right now, at least from what I've heard, most of them are pretty skeptical and are saying basically for the situation that we are in right now, the app is not making that much of a difference. I think it's important to kind of have this kind of reality check to see, okay, what are the two concrete like hotspots that we do have in Germany right now? One is the meat factory in Tönnitz, where a lot of employees, almost all employees um, have gotten infected. And the other one are certain houses in Berlin um, that are in lockdown right now that all seem to be members of the same uh, parish. And, in both cases, I am not sure how many of the people affected there are actually have downloaded the app, are even able to download the app. And uh, yeah, that is also a question that is quite central here because the app, at least in the beginning, was only available for download in the German app store and for certain uh, phones, as we all know, and operating systems
0: right and chris you mentioned the gesundheits and the health authorities and of course the ongoing recommendations that haven't gone away no matter what app we have is continuing to social distance so 1.5 meters away from other people and wearing masks when appropriate so in shops on public transport etc but as we touched on the corona warn app is now being released on several other countries app stores But many are still left out. So that means that even if you're living in Germany, if you're logged into a different app store, you can't download the Corona Warn app. How much of a problem is this going to be, especially headed into travel season, Chris?
4: I think it's definitely a major problem because when we look at, I mean, especially within the European Union and Europe, we are so used to, you know, just traveling or um, just crossing country borders. And I think the usefulness of the app in the end is going to be hugely dependent on the point if it's going to be interoperable between countries.
0: Yeah, Svea, can you help us define here what interoperability between EU borders means? Because that doesn't mean that people then have to download yet another app when they travel.
3: Right, yes, ideally that wouldn't have to be the case. So Chris has summarized it super well. So developers that were involved in the different national apps have collaborated to define interoperability standards um, to make different apps interoperable across borders. The really important caveat is here that this is so far really only a real possibility for apps that rely on the Apple Google frameworks so that follow a decentralized model. So, for example, the interoperability between the German app and the French app, which relies on a central model, is a completely different problem that might come with much more significant security and privacy risk for users. And then I think that it is important to keep in mind that even if interoperability was achieved between different apps across different different countries in the EU, uh, this is just one small element, right? I mean, many countries have taken very different approaches to the crisis. For example, Sweden has very different approaches to quarantining, to wearing masks, those kind of things. There are very different testing capabilities across the European Union as well. So even if the apps are interoperable, it, it doesn't necessarily mean that it is safe to travel anywhere or that um, it will be a seamless mechanism to uncover infection chains. So that's just also to keep in mind.
0: There's not yet a defined date, but hopefully in the coming weeks or so, there should be an update on this Corona Warn app. Chris, what bugs do you want to see fixed?
4: I mean, right now, the initial idea was to kind of speed up the process by also connecting the different laboratories that do the testing to the app. But um, in the process, it kind of turned out that most laboratories are technically not equipped to do that. So the workaround that Telecom and SAP constructed for that is to have a phone hotline where yeah, you have to call and then answer a few questions to make sure that you know you're not pranking the system And are then handed a code um, that then allows you to kind of set your status to, hey, I'm infected. I think it's an an interesting example for something that you know you expected to work seamlessly in the development, and then afterwards you realise, oh, that's not the point, because you know we don't just don't have the technical equipment. But it's something that the um, developers said they were working on, and I would hope that is quickly the case and that the labs are then also connected to the app directly because as also uh, Kelber, the data protectionist for Germany mentioned, it's basically in terms of within the app, it's one of the points that is kind of sketchy from a data protection perspective because it compromises anonymity.
0: Right. And I'm curious, my last question for both of you, for the people in your networks, uh, so whether that's your colleagues or your family members, Do you feel like you are encountering a lot of people who are like, yeah, no chance I'm going to download this. I have too many concerns. Or are you feeling like a lot of people are willing to download this app? Uh, Svea, let's start with you.
3: Yeah, for sure. I have definitely heard concerns from people in my circle that are really worried about location tracking So, where I think this very initial debate about um, using location tracking software, that really stuck with them um, and that makes them distrust the app in its current state that does not enable location tracking and I have also heard a lot of people being concerned about the potential social ramifications so the idea of this app creating sort of two different classes of people, those with the app that are know not to be infected, that can do certain things and then those without the app that don't have that course of like, yeah, that can't prove that they're not infected or they can prove that their risk is low, that they cannot do certain things. So that that is like a big concern for many people in my circle.
0: Yeah, it seems similar to the discussion Health Minister Jens Spahn brought up a little bit back about a COVID-19 immunity certificate where people could show they've already had the coronavirus and they have antibodies, which would allow them to then travel. It has a same sort of concerns attached. Chris, uh, do you have something to add?
4: Yeah, that's a big point. And also from the kind of feedback that we're getting at NetsPolitik or from reactions that I'm seeing on Twitter, there's also a huge amount of distrust towards Apple and Google who are providing the technical infrastructure for this whole thing because basically we are using their devices in order to do the Bluetooth tracing. So I've heard a lot of concern about, yeah, basically uh, they say they're not going to use that data, but on the kind of history especially um, that we know that Google has and the kind of monetization and the, the business models that these huge companies are using, is it really trustworthy? And some of it is really outright conspiracy theory, and some is kind of pointing towards maybe some things that were kind of irritating for people, for instance, on the Android app. When you're installing the app, it asks you to enable location tracking, which is really confusing because, I mean, a huge discussion was around this point that basically location tracking is something that the app should not and should never be using it's a technical problem with the use of Bluetooth that you first, on Android devices, have to enable location tracking. But it kind of showed um, a lot of concerns and insecurities in this respect and also a lot of distrust towards Google. I, I thought that was interesting.
0: Well, unfortunately, we are out of time. Uh, Chris Coover writes about digital rights for the website netspolitics.org in Berlin. And Svea Windwehr is a Mercator Fellow on International Affairs here in Berlin. Thank you both for joining me. Thanks a
3: lot. Thank you so much. Have a good day.
0: And thank you for tuning in to Studio Berlin. Don't forget, you can connect with us on Facebook, on Instagram, and Twitter at KCRWBerlin. I'm your host, Sylvia Cunningham. We'll see you back here next week.